This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Defending Jacob, a new Apple TV Plus limited series based on the New York Times bestseller. It's a suspenseful character-driven drama starring Chris Evans, Michelle Dockery, and Jaden Martell. Defending Jacob is available exclusively on Apple TV Plus. Open the Apple TV app and watch the first two episodes for free today. We had a chance to talk to the show's screenwriter and director earlier in the week, so stick around to hear that conversation at the end of the episode. Welcome to my favorite murder, long form. <laughs> That's Karen oh, Kilgariff. Yeah. <laughs> That's Georgia Hardstar. <laughs> and we're good at this. Steven, on the ones and twos. <laughs> we're all here. Everybody. Everyone is here, meaning their own houses and they're <laughs> away from each other. <laughs> as far away as possible. We've all moved to the four corners of Los Angeles County. <laughs> I live in Pacoima. <laughs> Georgia went down to Downey. Wow. Stephen went back to his old apartment in Alhambra. Alhambra. <laughs> Shout, out. Steve, Shout out. Stephen, Stephen used to commute in from Alhambra. Yeah. I'd just be like, dude, is it is that necessary? They, they had a nice target. <laughs> yeah. And a soup plantation. R.I.P. Oh, oh, R.I.P. Steven sent us a, a article this week, and I was seriously heartbroken that Sue Plantation is shutting down. It's a problematic name. Yeah. And yeah, so best, maybe best case, the name is never going to be resuscitated. And that's <laughs> right. great. <laughs> you got to hope. Um, what, what made we laugh so hard because... <laughs> Uh, we, you know, we talk about Sioux Plantation a lot, and there used to be one near George's old apartment. Right. And then Stephen let us know on the text thread that that's where he brought his girlfriend, who's a professional chef, <laughs> to the on their first date. He yes. brought her to Sioux Plantation. That was and one I of said, our. <laughs> I love it, classy Stephen. And then he sent me back the best gif of Manny from Modern Family drinking out of oh, a yeah. little espresso cup. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be out. You cannot be in the exactly right network family if your gift game isn't a fucking A plus. It's very competitive, and I would say Georgia, you're amazing at it <laughs> and fast. You. But Stephen is like, yeah. it's because he's so young. Yeah, he's like, it's like you have them at the ready, right? I pick Just, like the first, like yeah. when I put in a word, I'll pick like the top three, one of them. But Stephen's like deep cut gifts. Yeah, 
I and then of course, saved on my phone. Yeah. You've got the savers. You've always got the Kim K peeking from around oh, the yeah. edge that it, that just fits everything. <laughs> everything. It's perfect. It's like the best beige color in the world where it just fits every scenario. If you don't know what we're talking about, she's peeking around the corner. Maybe we'll put it on the Instagram. Again, yeah. her peeking. It's just, it's perfect. I feel like we've definitely posted it before. Yes. We've talked about this <laughs> gif a lot. But like, there's a, she's got a look on her face that might be playful and, you know, like, um, she's full of beans, except yeah. for that there is actually no expression on her face except for teeth. So then you're, <laughs> you can interpret anything. You can project anything onto Kim K's face. And in I that do. GIF, and and I it will. works. <laughs> and we have. But then Georgia, there was the time where you had the cartoon guy that looked like it was from like a total 80s cartoon. And it was like, someone told us we did something good. I mm-hmm. think this might have been an agent thread. And you just had this cartoon guy that looked like I was going like noodling, like, like a guy with an electric guitar. <laughs> And I was oh, yeah. so jealous. Like an air jealous, like a air jealous, like an, an air, air guitar je- going. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like a nice I'd, riff, a riff. Yes. Perfect. Like a, pr- a prideful riff where I had done the very, like I'd done one of those Beyonce queen gifts. Where, yeah. And it was just expected. It's like, you can do it. That's fine. But it, everyone does those ones. But did you know, <laughs> according to yeah, Vince. Tell me your secrets. According to Vince, I'm actually really good at air guitar. like you're really playing chords and stuff like it's kind of one of our things where like (laughs) if i want to make vince laugh i hate telling all our secrets but like do it no i'll do it someday on stage (laughs) someday when we have a live show when all this is over our first live okay how about i promise our first live show back i will do the fucking air guitar Yes, please. What a celebration that's going to be. You know, it's. (laughs) I almost tweeted this today because, first of all, thank you, everybody, for all your lovely birthday wishes. Well, to me, it was it was Monday. (laughs) (laughs) It was horrifying and it was Monday. But I I stayed off because like it's I think it's very cheesy when people are like, thanks so much, every single person or whatever. But it was really just so lovely. And people said really nice things. And it was just cool. Yeah. And then I was going to tweet this morning I was going to be like thank you so much and thank everybody and then say um, it's just so sad that I can't on tour I can't go out and do my Molly Shannon impression impression and do the um, Sally O'Malley kick I'm 50 kick (laughs) it's tragic Um, but then I so it's so sad then I realized that would make it look like I was trying to make the people who hadn't sent me a birthday wish like the, oh. like there could be a guilt implication I was like just leave it all alone but I did get sad you thinking about how I used to do that on stage and that we don't get to like I tour know. in public anytime on the, soon on the actual day of you being 50 and you've done this yeah. on stage you don't get to kick your legs out and yell I'm 50 while Vince brings out of a fucking tray of whatever <laughs> some really nice person brought us backstage like donuts it's true with I a mean, candle in it and then the the fire marshal has to follow with it. There's, I've had, I think either two or three birthdays in a row on the yeah. road. Yeah. I mean, at least two guys. I'm guys. so sick. Guys, we miss you. Well, we have in another month until I turn 40. So, and then we're just going to go rogue. Then we and don't then have be like, it's our Liberty. <laughs> I told Georgia, I want to restart the concept of the book club. We, the last time, which was, very early in the first year and we tried to get everyone to read V.C. Andrews <laughs> My Sweet Audrina <laughs> which was uh, we respect the 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 
the legacy. Yes. V.C. Andrews is a legend. She ruled the 80s. It was an unreadably bad book. Absolutely. It was just strangely dirty. Strange. And, yeah. A lot of uh, um, incest themes. Not even the incest. The whole theme was action. incest. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't a suggestion. It nope. was happening on the page. That's right. Very odd. I felt embarrassed that that was my, that was my pick, but lots of people wanted to do it. And so since we're, we're consuming so much more, right. Um, uh, everything Media, these days, when I say to Georgia, let's resuscitate this thing. Let's get it back up on its legs and, uh, read a book. So yeah, we're each going to tell you the book we're currently reading. And if you feel like joining us, then we can bring it up occasionally and talk about it but it's the it's again podcasting is a one-way street so we'll <laughs> tell you what we think about the book and yeah that's about it <laughs> and you'll <laughs> comment on our twitter and instagram how you feel about it yes exactly which and was maybe great it, and then tell us what book we should read next which is cool completely and if you get your comments in and we collect them up in time we can pretend funny ones yeah, yeah we can have a whole you know what steven might be able to bring some book club music up under and and maybe sound <laughs> effects like we're all drinking wine in someone's weird living oh. room and talking and actually having a book club let's just work we'll work it through let's workshop it but here's the book What's, that i'm reading yeah, what are you reading currently the reason i got excited about this is be, and also i tell my dad because my dad reads books in like two days yeah. on his kindle so um i just told him to read this one so he's gonna do it too Oh, cool. Um, Jim. Right? Home Jim. <laughs> Home Jim involved in the oh podcast. I sent him this, the listener art. Uh, Whoever made the the art for Home Jim. Let podcast, me find it. It, it is, looks like your dad. And you, looks, there's one photo of him on the entire internet. And somehow <laughs> this person, it. Make it's Moody. It's too hard. It's Who Make it? Moody. Make Moody drew okay. this incredible fan art. And it fucking looks like your dad. It looks like him. It looks like him laughing too, which yeah. is my favorite part. But when I I um, texted that art to him, uh -huh. and he was like, "What the hell is this?" It took me <laughs> ten minutes to explain like how that. I was like, "Dad, I told the story of me asking you what you thought about Bernie." Yeah. Like it it was a whole thing that he couldn't get through his head because he doesn't understand how they did it that fast. He doesn't understand why they would care right. or do it. He doesn't or, remember like, what he said. He doesn't. remember <laughs> Remember the conversation, <laughs> he was, but he was really impressed. He Aww. was really excited. And then, sorry, sidebar before I tell you the book, he told me the story. He's getting all the carpet, which is so exciting. Me and my sister are thrilled. Oh God, childhood hey, carpet. Yes, he's pulling up all that old mauve. I mean, like I deeply mauve, holy late shit. '80s carpet that has wine stains and sandwich dog Molly yeah. all over it. <laughs> Stuff sandwich remains. Maybe like a little mold by the sliding Ugh. glass door where the rain came in one yeah. time. You know, it's all pulled up, and he put in hardwood <gasps> floors. That's and like they next level, right? Like sprucing up your place. I know. And, and it's like, he's, you know, it's like, it was like his project, but so it's a father son team that are putting in these hardwood floors. And so they're him. My dad's talking to the son, the younger guy. I mean, mm -hmm. the son's like, I think my sister's age, but they're standing there talking and he's looking at, you know, the pictures or whatever. And my dad has, we, when we played Louisville, p listeners who worked at Louisville slugger bats, yeah. uh, you know, Louisville slugger, the, the factory. Yeah. And they, they made me, Georgia and Vince all our own personalized. And Steven, bats. right? 
No. Did you get <laughs> Sorry, Stephen Jay. Sorry, Louisville. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Stephen, we're going to get you back. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting you a live back. Um, so it's my dad has it in a glass box mounted on the wall. Like I like Holy shit, I was, like your babe Ruth or something, and you hit the fucking home run with it. Oh my God. For real. And this was the you remember when we got those, I called him because I thought yes. he'd be so excited. Yeah. And he kept going, Where'd you find it? And I'd be like, Dad, the people from the place made it. And I was like so infuriated. But once he had it in his hand and understood. Yeah, it's like that it was etched. Like, it says my favorite murder. It's got our logo and then it has like a quote in the back. I think yours yeah, is true. got different quotes. It's yeah. Beautiful. The coolest gift. So yeah. neat. So when he finally saw it, he was thrilled. And then he mounted it in the in the foyer. Oh my basically, God. like it's a sword on the wall. So it's it's our sword. Uh, but so this they're standing there talking about the other pictures. Mm-hmm. And then the guy goes, oh, what's this? Did you get like, did you buy this bad or whatever? And he goes, no, that's my daughter's podcast. They gave it to her as a present. And he looks over and goes, no, my favorite. I listen to that show. And they shut your yes. mouth. Yes, we got the guy putting in the floors is a fan. Oh, my God. And he thought that I grew up in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. So he didn't. He's from Petaluma, too. He's known our family. But I think he assumed I was a cousin or maybe just like, I don't know, or just not related at all. So he 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 was his mind was blown. And so when I sent my dad the home gym art, he goes, oh, I got to I got to show the floor guy. He's going to freak out. (laughs) Like like now he's my dad's getting into the whole the whole culture of it anyway I love it all of that is to say the book i'm reading right now <laughs> for book club it's called yes furious hours murder fraud and the last trial of harper lee oh i have that in my to, to read list yes it's really good okay i think there might be a copy at the office for you where you know, I'm not going. Door. Where COVID nineteen lives, I don't. <laughs> where COVID nineteen moved into when we got out. A Clorox it. Yeah, Thank you, you get it. Do some Lysol wipes first yeah, yeah. for Georgia. But it's um, the author is Casey Sepp, C E P, mm-hmm. and it's so you know Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, right. and then she helped uh, Trima Capote write In Cold Blood and research it and stuff. And then this was basically it's about how she came back to her home state and maybe even a hometown because I'm I'm on chapter two mm-hmm. um, to cover this trial that's unbelievable this oh. this criminal trial and it's so well written there's it's so fascinating I love reading and this it's book obviously nonfiction right which is fun that's correct historical yes. nonfiction yes. nonfiction okay yeah, but but also historical I mean yeah. it's the 70s so sure. long ago Okay, that's perfect because I'm reading a I'm reading like a fiction mystery thriller book. So like, so yeah, you get a choice. Yeah, but mine's also like murdery and like a whodunit y thing, and it's um it's by this woman who's written like twenty mystery thriller like those books that like we love to read on the beach on vacation. Hell yeah! Um, by Karen Slaughter, but it's I N Karen. Um, slaughter okay. and it's called pretty girls and i can't i'm listening to it on an audiobook i can't stop fucking listening to it and it's got like you know sister themes and it's got like st- strong female lead like it's and it's about yes. them solving a, maybe a murder and like what do we do and our sister got lost and like it's really good i can't Ooh, stop I, listening so i don't I'm know how it ends too. but i'm into it 
but we're in it. Yeah. All right. So if you want to do this with us, we're going to put we're going to put together some kind of followable book club process. Good idea. Um, meet us back here in a week. <laughs> Let's see if we had any progress on that. Let's see if we remember to ever talk about this again. Come on. It'll be fun. Oh, I'd like to thank everyone. Um, thank I want to do a thank you corner. Please. Everyone who said uh, when I was talking about the bird that wouldn't stop tweeting by my window all night to yeah. put owl, owl noises and hawk noises and it would get scared and run away or whatever. It didn't work, but thank you. <laughs> but it has gone away. And I think maybe that it was mating. And so now we're going to have a probably a bird's nest <laughs> by our window instead. And are you going to take your Louisville slugger and knock it out of the tree? <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> you take it down off the wall where you mounted it oh, yourself. Oh, <laughs> the internet. The ire of the internet. Oh. Cancel. That's cancel. It is actually. You know, it's funny. I went to get the mail today, which I keep forgetting. I, that's a thing I can do. Like sure. one more thing. A yeah. little task. And it's fun. Um, <laughs> I walked out to get the mail. There was a bird's nest on the ground next to the mailbox oh no it, I, it fell out of the tree i think <gasps> what you do it was empty there was oh. nothing sad in it or whatever <laughs> it was just like a lot of hard work okay that's beautiful don't touch it don't touch <laughs> no, it. no i did not okay good yeah i went down i sniffed it <laughs> and i got real close to taste. it to the mites in it did a little rail of it to see if it was rub some on my teeth <laughs> to see if it was coke just to get a little jolt Oh, I wanted to say this isn't really a correction, but it's more of a I mentioned my friend because you were telling um, said Nancy's story. We don't know the stories that we're going to tell each other. So yeah. I was talking about my friend Luke and I, I did a weird brain fart on his last name, which is awful because we worked together for five years. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. And I just was like, couldn't yeah. do it. And then the next day he texted me of like, oh, my God, I'm so honored because he listens. Yeah. And so I just want to give the full credit to Luke Womack, who is the most hilarious man, it, one of the most fun people I've ever worked with in my life, such Excuse a me? comic genius, whoops, <laughs> in the past, in uh -huh, my past, uh -huh. okay, great. Um, a comic genius, he actually sent me a text that said, after we like said, you know, I was like, I'm so, I miss you and I haven't seen you in so long, and then he wrote, oh, and by the way, COVID-19, sashay away. <laughs> that, was the, that was the last text. I He's a genius. It. I love you, Luke. Thank you for listening and, you know, being being you and for loving, passionately loving Vivian Westwood so much. Yeah. Um, he really is her number one fan. You know what I've been watching to stave away the depression? Because yes. like you just watch depressing shit, which you do every day in normal life. But now it's like you're hunkered down. So like, yeah, you, you need. Yeah, you need yeah. to get away. I've just been watching Parks and Rec over again. Ugh. And it's so joyous. You know who loves that show is Nora. She, really? she is. Oh, yes. Oh, your Big niece. time. How old is she? 12 now? She's 13 now. Oh, my God. I know. Um, that's adorable. It's so yeah. good. It's just like so lighthearted and fun. And it's been, a, it's been, Vince and I have just been like putting it on instead of whatever. Yes. It's a perfect. Also, I have to say, it, uh, to, well, this will be Nora's recommendation list um, because she knows every word to every episode. But if you're looking for that kind of like laugh out loud, get you through it, Modern Family, mm. you know, they just wrapped like their 13th season. Yeah. You have a vast world to dive into if you've never gotten into Modern Family. I swear to God, the joke writing yeah. is superb. It's tight. Every, it's so tight. It's hilarious. It's just so good. Yeah. 
I love that. Um, should we do a quick exactly right corner? Exactly yeah, let's right. Do it. So th- I'm going to do, I'm going to feature this week, this podcast will kill you, which is a great mm-hmm. podcast. They're celebrating their 50th episode um, this week by covering the history of antibiotics, which is fucking fascinating. I can't wait to listen to it. It's just, it's going to be rad. So good. Congratulations yeah. on your 50th episode. Yeah. Late, ladies. 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 Um, and also this week on I Said No Gifts, which I believe comes out today also. Mm-hmm. Um, Bridger has our uh, game night friend from Sex Unique podcast, Carrie O'Donnell. Hilarious writer. Hilarious man. Um, Steven said he enjoyed recording it, that it all went great. So definitely check in if you're a Sexy Unique podcast fan or if you've just heard those Carrie O'Donnell stories and you need to get more. Bridger and carry together are su- supremely hilarious. I love it. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Is that it all? I think that's all I have. Is that it? I think it is. Looks like it. And guess who's first this week? Me. Right? That's right. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) 
I just did it. <laughs> I just didn't answer. <laughs> All right. Okay. Woo. Woo. You know when you get one that like you're excited to tell, so you're nervous about it because you want to get everything fucking right. This is 100%. one of those. And this yeah. one might be as strange as that Galapagos affair one I did a while mm. back. It's got twists and turns. It's a fucking story. And you might know a little bit about it. But um, so this is the disappearance of Madeline Murray O'Hare, the most yes. hated woman in America. That's right. This story <laughs> is amazing. And she's amazing. So uh, I got info from the Austin Chronicle, an article by Robert Bryce, the New York Times. There's an article on Medium by Delani R. Bartlett, Washington Post by Paul Duggan. There's so many good articles about this out there. There's a Texas Monthly article. And there's an episode of this really great show, Vanity Fair Confidential, that I watched. That's about oh, her. Such I a good started show. watching that show because it's it's on yeah on Netflix, the ID. Maybe? No, I think you can get the like oh, the ID channel, ID channel like app and watch yes. all of them. It's. I mean, I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. Vanity Fair Confidential. If you are into true crime, yeah. even if it's a story you've heard a thousand times, their version of it is unbelievably. And you don't like corny reenactments. You want to hear from multiple sources. It's it's like journalism. Yeah, because these are Vanity Fair writers. This yeah. is like this is the honor society of journalism. Right. And then as they far, interview as like far as the, I lo know. the local journalist. It's it's a good show. It's so good. So I watched that. There's also a show, Netflix show made for Netflix in 2017 called The Most Hated Woman America in America. That's like they, based on it. But there's some things. But I have the who plays who just in case you need it. OK, great. So can Matt, I do a guess? No. Star starring Kathy Bates. It would have been great. But like, no. Uh, no. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry. It, she should. Well, let's get because she should. Okay, so Madeline, her name is Madeline Murray O'Hare. Madeline is born on April thirteenth, nineteen nineteen, in Pittsburgh. She's baptized and raised as a Presbyterian in an upper middle class family until the nineteen twenty nine stock market crash, and her family like fucking lost everything. Mm. Um, in her twenties, she enlists in uh, for World War II and serves as a cryptographer in the Women's Army Corps. And when she's stationed in Italy, she meets this dude and has an affair with. Him, his name's William Murray Jr., and he's a married officer. Um, yeah, and she gets pregnant with his baby, but he's a staunch Catholic, so he refuses to leave his wife because divorce isn't allowed. So maybe that's when uh, she, cheating she, is also not allowed, right? So isn't that weird? Because you're funny. okay with breaking some rules. I don't know how it weird. works that way. So he refuses to marry her. She takes his last name anyways. So she becomes that's where she becomes Madeline Murray. And uh, when she comes back to the U.S., she gives birth to a son and names him uh, William and so his his name his nickname is Bill so it's his name is Bill Murray oh essentially went on to be a hilarious <laughs> no so back home so maybe that's so she, okay Maybe the, maybe the Catholic part is what made her become an atheist. Maybe it just she already was. Who knows? Very good chance. Yeah. She's like, fuck this shit. So back home, <laughs> Madeline gets a law degree from the South Texas College of Law. And she moves with her son, Bill Murray, to uh, Baltimore. And then on November 16th, 1954, she has a second son named John Garth Murray, fathered by an ex-boyfriend. So she has two kids. Mm -hmm. So one morning in 1960, as the tale goes, she's taking Bill 
to junior high, Bill Murray to junior high to enroll in classes in Baltimore. And she hears the students reciting the Lord's Prayer at the start of the class. And uh, she's <laughs> like, I don't want my son doing that. He's he's not, you know, religious. And they but they refuse to excuse him from saying the Lord's Prayer. So in a radical move, she takes Baltimore School Board to the Supreme Court. Yeah. To fucking talk about the church and state separation. Yeah. So you mean what our country was founded on? Right. Separation of church and state. So pretty important. Is, and this is a time, though, it's the 1960s when most I think most Americans considered themselves religious in some way. There was a lot. There was this moral majority. There was just, you know, how you do things and religion Especially Catholic, it seems like Christian religions, obviously. Christian religions, yeah. Christian religions were, were huge. And so, um, because I, that's, I mean, that's a thing that they, my, my mom used to always bring that up. She's like, these people that fight for prayer in schools. Right. They're never talking about anything from the Torah. No, no. They're, ne- they're never talking about anything Muslim. No. They, when they think of prayer, it's only the Christian point of view. That's it's right. It's so myopic. And yes. so, uh, anyway, sorry. That's exactly. Far. No, I want, I need this in here. I yeah. want it. And yeah, atheism yeah. itself is looked down upon com- almost like in the same way Satanism was, where it's just like atheism who believes in not any of that. Of course, people who are religious take it as you believe in the opposite of what I believe in, which isn't that, but you know, they're mad and and they think they're right. So, um, but still, even though it's like that in America, in a historic ruling, the Supreme Court sides with her and there was a couple other lawsuits at the same time and banned school prayer in 1963. (laughs) How fucking literally, literally radical. She's a fucking radical. She's a true radical. Not really thinking of her junior high age son, though, and how difficult it would be. To have a mom that's doing stuff like that. And she's doing it for him. But in the photos from back then, he just looks so unhappy and yeah. miserable. It's rough. Um, and so so she's not the only plaintiff in the ruling, but she is the loudest voice and becomes like the face of it and a kind of a celebrity of it. And so Madeline, who's played by Melissa Leo. Do you know who that oh, is? Oh, yes. So she, she like a, they age her. And when she becomes the older version of her, it looks exactly like her. It's just this white hair. Like she looks like a grandma librarian and cute and everything. But then you talk to her and you know those people that you talk to and you you say something normal to them and they immediately you don't know who they are. They're checking you out of the library <laughs> and then they're mad at you immediately. because you, And you're just like, why? I don't I didn't. I don't understand. You know what I mean? Yes, I was raised by those yes, people. Yes, nuns, nuns. Those, those are my people. <laughs> well, it's also that thing. It's it's just ironic because yeah. it's that thing of like, you know, the whole thing of like, you don't want prayer in school. You don't want people shoving stuff down, you know, your kid's throat or, right. or dictating anything. But a lot of times those personalities and the people that fight for stuff like that are the people who shove stuff down other people's throats. Exactly. So she yeah. was loud and brash right back at the people who were loud and brash at her about religion and she's combative she's outspoken she's fucking angry she drinks beer she curses like a sailor love it all she says i'm a militant feminist she fights for abortion rights she's just like out there and loud about it there's a reporter named valerie williams who said quote i have never encountered a more bitter more distasteful person than madeline murray o'hare she was extremely foul mouthed to the point that even though we were doing an (laughs) interview about something that she wanted us to do a story on we had to stop the interview in the middle because she was cursing so much (laughs) which in my whole fucking cunty heart appreciate as someone who said 
the word cunt on at the grand on the grand old Opry stage. I appreciate that. I mean, and also, you know, to ca- to claim that you're a militant um, feminist yeah. in the late '60s, early '70s yeah. was it was insane. I mean, like that's you know, this has only been cool in the last five years. Yeah, totally. It's it very edgy. I mean, all of it. It's also, in my opinion. A lot of times this boils down to being a very intelligent woman in modern society. It's a difficult thing to be the kind of person that's smart enough to be a a car. Did you say she was a cartographer in the women's army? Yes. So this is a very intelligent woman. Cryptographer. Cryptographer. Oh, she's doing code breaking. Yeah. And and she goes to law school. She's a smart cookie. You know, she's a smart cookie that's tired of. Of dumb people ruining shit. And the thing about her being smart is she knows that the loudest voice gets heard. Because the fucking loudest voice in the evangelical Christians, whatever, is fucking yelling at the pulpit, too. And they're getting a ton of what's what's his face? Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. She got it. You got to fight fire with fire. But right. It's the whole thing of women aren't supposed to be that way. Yeah. Women aren't supposed to do stuff like that when they're not supposed to swear, drink beer. Right. And you're, and you're on the other side. So they're pissed. And so so she appears on the debut episode of Phil Donahue. <laughs> he was like, that's our first episode. We need her. He's a genius. Yes. Also, I, there's no way his wife, Marlo Thomas, didn't have something to do with that because she was also a militant feminist. Nice. But she was that girl so she was like the prettiest version yeah, of that she yeah. was like a Gloria Steinem type like let me whereas- make this palatable for you fucking patriarchy assholes so she appears on Phil Donahue's first show to t- publicly discuss her atheist views the audience turns against her <laughs> as does the public yep and in a 1964 article in Life magazine she's dubbed the most hated woman in America excuse me <laughs> leave that in which she's <laughs> proud of she's like hell yeah and proud of that fucking title so madeline goes on the news circuit and she criticizes and ridicules religion and religious people i mean she's fucking laughing in their faces and she laughed at the entire concept of god she riles them up and of course then gets more press for it and because of that she's harassed she receives tons of death threats against her and her family um she says like their cat got killed and her uh, she got mail with feces in it mm-hmm. and her home was stoned like you know she becomes literally the most hated woman in America so in the late 60s Madeline takes all her infamy and attention and founds the American Atheists Organization yeah. Um, the aim of the organization is to, quote, defend the civil rights of non-believers, work for the separation of church and state, and address issues of First Amendment public policy. So after setting up the headquarters in Austin, where she lives now, she marries again and becomes, that's why she's Madeline Murray O'Hare. Her husband's are footnotes in this, in her story, which I appreciate. She fa- <laughs> but she found a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Despite everything. Just kidding. Just kidding. There's someone people out there going, what? Yeah, how would you say that? <laughs> There's someone for everyone. Madeline becomes famous. She has an atheist radio program, television show called American Atheist Forum, and it's on more than 140 cable channels. So she's fucking famous. And so for the next few decades, Madeline devotes her life to campaigning against the church's power. She continues to file suits challenging religious displays and rituals. Including, so one of the things she does is trying to get In God We Trust removed from dollar bills. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, that, it's government. I mean. Um, she tries to get the phrase under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, she fights 
tax exempt status for the Catholic and Mormon churches. That was and, right. Yeah. And then, she was right. <laughs> then there's some shit about the moon landing <laughs> and how he, one of the moon, one of the astronauts was going to take communion on the moon and, the, and missionaries wanted to go to the moon in case there were other life for life forms so they can convert them. <laughs> it's just now like, they're fucking with her. Yeah. That's crazy. It's absurd. And there's a clip of her just laughing about it. It's, it's absurd. So, and she's placed on Jagger Hoover's list of dangerous citizens. However, and maybe because of this, atheists all around the world start to fucking send her and her organization money to fight against, you know, to fight oh, her fights. Wow. Mm-hmm. So at the peak of the American atheists, uh, you know, height of their power, it's estimated that Madeline controls up to 15 million in donated assets. Oh, my God. And one of those fans is none other than Larry Flint, who <laughs> is the owner of Hustler. Hell yeah. He tries to sign over his $300 million empire to her in case he dies. But his brother's like, this is not fucking happening. But he's wow. like a fan. And she writes for Hustler and Playboy and, you know, throughout the years. Wow. And throughout the 70s and into the, what becomes a super religious Reagan era of the 80s, she goes to court many times. She battles religious symbolism in the um, official domain. She fights for legal, legalization of abortion. Um, but in the 80s, more and more people are going to ch- church and becoming right wing. You know, the satanic panic didn't happen in a bubble. It's because yeah. everyone, it's the same kind of fucking f- gasoline that lit this fire. Well, and it's that cultural pendulum that always swings. Right. It's like this, you know, the the whatever they call it, the social revolution or whatever it's correctly called. Yeah. Of the late 60s and into the 70s. Then there was that malaise and that member like, you know, they. You know what? What I forgot to mention this when I was doing the Kent State story, but those were like so many of those hippies and people and and college students who thought they finally had a voice and were finally going to change the world. It didn't work. And they became and my dad talked about this, too. They become disillusioned and stop giving a shit. And they're like, I might as well become a fucking capitalist. Yep. And that's what happened in the late 70s and 80s. Yeah, a lot of those people in the the Woodstock documentary is amazing because there's a guy that like was at Woodstock doing the whole thing. And I think this is how they got the Mad Men final episode mm-hmm. in the in the Woodstock documentary. He talks about this insane weekend that he has. And then he went back to his job, his advertising job and wrote plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it that is. That is and totally came, Mad like, Men final. One, right. And, and he was like basically one of the biggest ad people after that. But he wow. was like, he had the whole realization at Woodstock of like have this great idea and then it was like yeah it's the pendulum swings and it's like we tried that it's scary it didn't we I didn't get what I needed out of it no so now we now we go this way and Ronald Reagan says you know let's all pray and trickle down economics right and yeah so the American Atheist Organization they still have a membership in the high five figures but by 1990 they're kind of dwindling all the uh, chapters around the country are gone and the organization is kind of on the like low end of the pendulum and they have tax problems it seems like maybe they're laundering some money that's a Mm -hmm. that's me always yeah and legal fights and you know that they're doing drain the organization because they have to hire lawyers to fight these fights and madeline starts considering leaving for new zealand she's like fuck this shit i can't she can't fucking leave the house she's been like harassed and you know attacked so on august 27th 1995 when a typewritten note is attached to the locked office doors at the at the headquarters of the American Atheists in Austin, saying that Madeline, who's 76, her son, 
her younger son, Garth, who's 40, and uh, Madeline's granddaughter, who's 30, who's actually Bill Murray's daughter. Um, but she is, you know, they're all like a really close little family, the three of them. She, they, it says they'd been called out of town on an emergency. Don't know how long will they'll be gone. Don't worry about it. And so it seemed, it didn't seem like totally out of the ordinary that they had like skipped town. Um, but members of the atheist organization, they searched the family home. There's no evidence of violence or a struggle, but it does seem like they left in a hurry because it's like the, the thing of half eaten food on the table. Like they were in the middle of a meal kind of a story. <laughs> she throws down her meatloaf and goes, we got to go to New Zealand right now. All <laughs> right. That's, Come on. You know how it is. Yeah. Um, Madeline's diabetes medication are still there. Their passports are still there. And they left their dogs behind, like untaken care of, which isn't like them at all. Mm-hmm. Man, atheists take care of their dogs. Everyone knows that. Um, <laughs> it's all they have. That's right. <laughs> Dog is their co-pilot. God. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Um, Bumper sticker comedy. Yeah. But a few days later, so they're like, this is weird. We don't know what's going on. They try to get in, in touch with all of them. But finally, Garth, the son, does answer his cell phone when they call. And he's like, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. But he's really vague about their whereabouts. And Garth and the granddaughter, Robin, answer the cell phone occasionally in the next couple of weeks, give strange, vague answers. And the last time anyone talks to them on September 28th, Robin, the granddaughter, is described as being distraught. And after that, no one ever hears from them again. Um, so of course a bunch of people are like they fucking skipped town and are living in New Zealand living it up on all the money they laundered and some people are like well maybe the fucking people they angered finally you know killed them it's like who the fuck knows and it takes a year for Madeline's estranged son Bill Murray who's now he fucking cut ties with the family to finally report her missing to the Austin police but since there's no evidence of foul play the police don't follow up on the report and also remember this is Texas which is probably one of those religious places ever and so they don't give a shit about this woman as well in the 90s you know yeah so a year after the Murray O'Hare disappearance a reporter from San Antonio Express News John McCormick now this guy's our fucking hero of the story don't you love it when the journalists are the fucking people (laughs) who solve the problems. John McCormick it happens is a, a lot. It does. John McCormick is assigned to write an anniversary story on the disappearance of the three of them. And he just assumes that they fled the country and didn't want to be found. So he starts to dig into the story. He speaks with ex members of the atheist organization. And one of those members is a man named David Waters, who's played by Josh Lucas. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is he a bad guy? Josh Shh. Lucas always turns out to be a douchebag. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Just saying. What has he been in? Oh, like, tons of stuff. Well, he was in like Ford versus Ferrari yes, as the douchebag right. from Ford, you know, right. but like he always is that guy where you're like, or he's like the boyfriend that at first you think is great. And then he's like, not, <laughs> not I great. Like he's being typecast and pigeonholed when he's. He is such because he's such good because he's good at it. So yeah. this guy, David Waters, insists feverently that the family left town. He's like, I think that they fucking stole a bunch of money. And here I have like letters and shit to prove it. And he gives it to any reporter that'll listen to him. He's on several news shows. He's on America's Most Wanted talking about the disappearance, talks to any fucking reporter about it. Mm-hmm. So let's leave him over there. After publishing his story, John McCormick gets it. So he puts the story in the paper being like, I don't really know what happened to them. This is odd. He can't figure anything out. He puts the story up. Then he gets a call from a private investigator who specializes in finding missing persons, which sounds like the best fucking job ever. Yeah. His name's Tim Young. And he had read the article and was like, 
I don't care. I don't care what happens. I need to be part of this. Like, this is fascinating. So the two of them, McCormick and fucking Young, for about 19 months, they chase leads, they examine phone records and credit card bills, and they're able to place Madeline and her son and granddaughter in the San Antonio area during the month after they disappeared. And oh. yeah. So in San Antonio, the the three of them had maxed out their credit cards with cash advances and they find that $600,000 had been withdrawn from the organization's account by Garth. So oh. after September 28th, there's no more activity on the cell phones or any other credit cards or accounts, which just supports the author- the authorities theory that the family was fleeing the country, right? They're like getting cash in later dang. Um, but it's just not adding up for McCormick and Young. They just like aren't, they're not, it's not coming together. Yeah. So McCormick's leads dry up until mid-1998 when he gets a call from a man who had read his article as well. And this dude is like, okay, so my brother is a small time con man. His name's Danny Fry. He had gone missing around the same time that the Murray O'Hares disappeared. The three of them disappeared. And he, all he knew is that his brother was last known to be in San Antonio in September of 1995, which was the time period, doing some kind of job with a dude who kept getting mentioned in these nude articles, sorry, who kept getting mentioned in these news articles named David waters aka yeah Uh who and he was like my brother who went to see him had actually served prison time with him so then mccormick's like "Uh uh-huh so remember david waters who we just talked about who worked for madeline what's his deal let's find out (laughs) let's dig let's dig so he had been hired by Madeline in 1993 as a typesetter for the atheist organization. I don't know if she knew that he had been in prison when she hired him, but she was very vocal about giving people serving their time and giving them second chances. So she actually didn't give a shit, which is... What wasn't she vocal about? <laughs> like, Sorry, I'm going to keep this opinion to myself. It's about, it's about how darkly I like to toast my toast. I but I'm going to... I don't, I don't like to I'm talk just, about that. I'm just going to be quiet about it. I like burnt toast. (laughs) So David Waters, he also was this charming, hardworking, smart dude. So he was good at his job and eventually got promoted to office manager until the family discovers that he had stolen $54,000 from the atheists organization fund. Wow. No, I almost put this paper to the side. Don't do that. (laughs) Tape it to the wall behind you. (laughs) So the family, uh, they... They press charges on David Waters. He's only given probation in order to pay back the money. And so Madeline is fucking furious that he didn't get like, you know, he only got a slap on the wrist. So in the organization's July 1995 newsletter, she exposes David Waters criminal background and says everything that he had been in prison for and had ever done, which is that he was in there for at, at 17 years old. He had beat a man to death with a fence post. Oh, my God. So that's why he was in prison. And when he was released, he brutally assaulted his mother and urinated in her face afterwards. Oh, my God. So he was a monster. And she put it in the fucking newsletter. Okay. Sorry. We've been doing this podcast for four years. Uh I don't think we've ever heard that a detail like that. I mean, we've heard. I know. And I wasn't sure if I was going to put it in there, but I want to just stress. No. It like gives a, a very clear picture yeah. of it's his mother. His mother. Shit. So this guy is not on the fucking level. 
and, and he she works, put it in the newsletter. She put it in the, and I must have been, you know, with all the money she got, had fifteen million dollars. It must have been thousands and hundreds of thousands of fucking people who got this newsletter in their mailbox every week. It was over by the horoscopes, but still, it was in there. It <laughs> was in there. The atheist horoscope. You're fine. <laughs> be nice. Don't be a dick. You're, you're the same as everybody else. We all have many. We we can we all contain multitudes. Yeah. There's no heaven. Be nice now. The end. <laughs> Um, and he had, and he had stolen fifty four thousand dollars from them. So he's like, you know, he's a bad guy. And um, shortly after, so that was printed in July nineteen ninety five. And remember, they went missing in August nineteen ninety five. <sighs> September is when the last the people last heard from them. Right? Do you think the line about him paying in his own mother's face was in the newsletter? I think it was. And I tried to find the newsletter and I couldn't find it. But I think that was specifically in the newsletter. I mean, that, it's making me nervous. And I know. This happened 30 years ago. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. That's fucking Madeline for you. It's called I Don't Give a Fuck, but the Madeline Murray O'Hare story. No, yeah, it's called Come At Me, Bro. Yeah. The Madeline Mario hair story. <laughs> Come at me, bro, because I put it in the newsletter. <laughs> Yo. It's too Sorry. late. It's in the newsletter. <laughs> too late. Um, so McCormick and Young, remember John McCormick, our um, newspaper writer, and our, um, our I'm going to picture him really beautiful. Let's, he looks like Paul Holes in my mind. Uh, private detective yeah. they're they're like oh shit and they're like let's do some fucking digging like now we know what's we knew something was going on so they find the phone records for this guy's brother fry and david waters and they are able to tie them together around the same time and uh you know that they're all in san antonio around that time and there's also another third fucking accomplice his name is uh gary carr and he was also an ex-cellmate of david waters and he he was a serial rapist and kidnapper. Jesus So it's the Christ. three of them at the same time, and one of them had worked for Madeline. And they all had copies of that newsletter in the back pocket <laughs> of their lead jeans. They had put it in a baseball bat uh, case <laughs> and put it on their wall <laughs> for some time in the future when they might need it. So they'd all been in San Antonio during this time in question. And so McCormick and Young are like, let's bring this to the Austin PD. Right. Like we have all, like it. Fucking, Hell yeah. Like those little red threads with the push buttons that go all the way over to the, you know, and, the, the Carrie put up in a homeland. Yeah. <laughs> the homeland map or the um, true detective style. You know, it's like the sure. fucking classic. Every they all added up and they were like, yeah. what's up, Austin PD? Here you go. And Austin PD was like, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> she no, bugged us. There's no body, so there's nothing we can do about it. Goodbye. So they're like, she was not hot and she <laughs> exactly. swore. So yes. fuck her. Right. So whatever. They move on. And finally, by sheer fucking godly, maybe coincidence. <laughs> it was the Lord working. Okay. So by sheer coincidence, ugh, McCormack sees a story in a Dallas newspaper about how three years earlier in 1995, a headless, handless corpse had been found nearby in the Trinity River. Ugh. And he contacts the Dallas police with information. And he's like, I think I know who this is. And with DNA testing in early 1999, it's confirmed that the corpse is Danny Fry, the <gasps> brother that the guy had called about his brother, who was one of David Waters accomplices. Whoa. Yeah. Not a good sign for everybody else no. involved. No. So McCormick writes an article about the whole thing, 
finally gets the attention of not just um, the police, but the FBI. And then they find out that the IRS special, an IRS special agent, Edmund Martin, had been looking into this case since 1997 because he was like, this is fucking money laundering, if nothing else. Yeah. Because they had already <laughs> evaded taxes and shit and they owed a bunch of money to the IRS. So he'd been looking into it. So you've now you get to fold in. So there's the intrepid, beautiful reporter. There's the intrepid, beautiful detective. Uh huh. Private investigator. Now, yeah. Private investigator, Paul Hole style. Uh huh. And now there's a nerd from the IRS coming That's in, right? Just to fill out that ragtag team. So finally, on March 24th, 1999, seven weeks after McCormick's story is published, the agents from the IRS, the FBI, and the Dallas County Sheriff's Office raid the apartments of the of the two surviving, you know accomplices yeah. it's car and waters and then david waters run down shitty ass apartment and they're like why does he have a shitty apartment if he stole six hundred thousand dollars from these people yeah. they find 119 rounds of ammunition and it's a parole violation because he's on parole for stealing the money from before great that's good news that's good news so he david uh waters is arrested gary carr is also arrested for similar parole violations and waters is sentenced to eight years on the weapons charge but 60 years for violating the terms of his parole you would have six hoped zero yes 16 six d six zero wow and he okay. was like in his 50s by then so you would have hoped that he got 60 years for murdering a person with a fence post but no it's for violating. It was parole. a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I wrote, okay, but what does this have to do with murder, Georgia? <laughs> I was like, you're off track at this point. <laughs> There's lots of murder so far. That's true. There's a headless, That's, okay, handless right. corpse in a river. Right. That's murder. Most what likely. What do people want? <laughs> it's a worse murder. So here's what happens. Knowing that he's going to prison for the rest of his life, that's on his parole violations and not he doesn't want to be in a Texas state prison anymore. He wants that sweet, sweet fucking federal cushy prison. Yeah. Yeah. Where there's all the tennis lessons and stuff. Exactly. Easy. In 2001, he's like, all right, I'll confess to everything if you put me in a federal prison. And he does it. And he fucking begins telling the story of the kidnapping and murder of Madeline, her son, Garth and her granddaughter, Robin. Oh. So on August 27th, 1995, he says, um, the three convicts, Waters, Carr, and Fry, all a armed with handguns, they use a delivery man ruse, they surprise Madeline, Garth, and Robin at the atheist headquarters, kidnap them, take them to a motel in San Antonio, demand the contents of their bank account, which is the $600,000, which is in New Zealand. So maybe that money, la money laundering <laughs> is thing really? is true. Uh huh. <laughs> but because of, and they're like, we'll let you go unharmed once we have the money. But because it's in fucking New Zealand, it turns out that it's going to take a long time to get to the U.S. 30 fucking days. So oh. in this like it's an it's like an apartment motel. What are those long term living apartments called? Yeah, I think it's like lo long term. <laughs> extended stay extended stay it's an extended stay place they're all they end up staying there for 30 days together they play <laughs> cards they watch tv they get fucking takeout and they kind of like become friends and begin to trust each other so the money is on its way it gets it gets stuck in a bank in new jersey and the son garth and david waters actually get on a plane and fly there together so garth can get it out and he trusts that he's not going to get killed so much that he doesn't alert anyone to what's going on Whoa. Yeah. Like he believes them that they're not going to kill him and his family, his his mom and niece. So not even. Oh, I know. Wow. And, okay, and you know what? Maybe they weren't going to because according to the story, and who knows if it's true, when they get back from New Jersey, David Waters goes in and learns that Carr 
who was a rapist, remember? Yeah. Had raped and murdered young Robin, the granddaughter. No. That's according to the story. And so Garth and Madeline don't know about that. And they finally get the $600,000. And they trade it all for gold gold coins at the local jewelry store. And once they have the money, the three convicts attack Garth in his sleep. They put a leather belt around his neck. And he's fucking 6'4 and over 200 pounds. And so he puts up this huge fight against these three men. But eventually they put a um, bag over his head and he suffocates to death. It's awful. It's so it's these I mean, it's just so fucking sad and heartbreaking and and greedy and mean and terrible and And dumb and dumb and mad. You'll get caught. Yeah. Madeline's killed in the same fucking way. Oh, God. It's really awful. Um, the three of them take the bodies to, back to Austin and in a storage unit, they dismember the bodies with a bow saw. They put them each into 55 gallon barrels and then they drive to a remote area and bury the barrels. And at oh. some point, maybe when they were burying the, the family, uh, David Waters shoots Fry in the back of the head killing him maybe he was a double crosser or something yeah and remember the headless body that's found it's his and they throw his head head and hands into the pit with the rest of them good god yeah so afterwards waters and car go on a fucking spending spree they spend nearly eighty thousand dollars of that six hundred thousand dollars um but the rest of it the 500 like almost five hundred thousand dollars they put in a suitcase in, in a different storage unit okay and now fucking ironically and this does make me believe in a higher power three local teenage hoodlums are on a <laughs> yes. fucking spree yes. the, how god works yes through teenage hoodlums exactly. 100%. <laughs> god yes. works in mysterious teenage hoodlums <laughs> they fucking start breaking in to storage units <laughs> yes they steal the fucking suitcase yes all the money that they this fucking three people were killed for they steal yes. it. They go on a crazy spending spree. Eventually, they get caught as well. But it's of like, y- you know, can you imagine like David Waters walking up to his fucking storage unit and that shit got stolen? It was it's like Fargo. It's just this fucking. It uh, is. Yeah. It's a total Fargo. And it also is that thing of like uh, all the work. I mean, it's very similar to Fargo. All the yeah. work to put in uh, to stay with that family for a month. Yeah. To have to live with the people you're eventually going to murder. Like, right. What? How could you do it? It's it's, it's horrifying. Sick. It just shows how there's just so many people who don't have a conscience that like yeah. will do such things to people that they get to know and like, you know, play cards with and shit. It's just for money. Just, just for, for Fargo. All of that for just a little bit of money. That's right. After his confession, David Waters leads the police to the remote ranch in Camp Wood, Texas. They find the shallow grave with three dismembered skeletons and the hands and skull with a bullet hole in them. Madeline is identified by the serial number on her artificial hip and later the others are all identified through DNA. Mm. Gary Carr is given two life sentences without the possibility of parole for all of the crimes, but they don't ever try them for the murder. No one ever gets tried for murder. And kidnapping. David Waters dies of lung cancer on January 27th, 2003 in federal prison. And yeah, no one's ever tried for the murders. But in an ironic twist, when they do go to court for these life sentences, the swearing on a Bible, the uh, in God part is taken out partly because of Madeline's fight to get God out of government. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yes. So finally, the Murray O'Hara's are reburied in an unmarked grave to protect them from vandals by their son, 
Bill Murray, William Murray. He, even though he's estranged and clearly doesn't like his mom, he respects her wishes and allows no prayers or religious services at their funeral, despite the fact that he is now an evangelical Christian. Of course he is. Right. Because you can't make your children do what you want them to do. No, no. In fact, he founded the Religious Freedom Coalition, which is the largest and most powerful Christian right lobbying group in the nation. It's like, yeah, people, yeah. It's just how it works. Um, Here's a quote from Madeline Murray O'Hare. She says, I told my kids I just want three words on my tombstone, if I have one. Woman, atheist, anarchist. That's me. And that is the mysterious disappearance and murder of Madeline Murray O'Hare. Unbelievable. Unbelievable story. bananas is that? It's really i mean it's that's amazing that you said that because it really is very parallel to fargo totally just a lot less funny but still (laughs) just that insane and i mean look uh, i love a loud obnoxious woman clearly i am one clearly (laughs) i love to swear clearly i don't give a fuck but there is that thing that i think is that i think i've learned more recently in my older age which is that that it is a much more peaceful life when you're not so obsessed with these ideas in your head of how you need it to be mm-hmm. because it isn't true. Even if it's like, yeah, I, I honestly personally believe that there needs to be a separation of church and state because when you don't separate church from the government, then the church is used to sway people and to hold power over people where it should, it doesn't belong. Right. It, it should not be allowed. Right. And it's also not considering everybody because everyone only thinks church as in Catholic or Christian right. church, which doesn't represent America. This is a country filled with all kinds of religions and backgrounds and atheists and and you have to represent this country when you're talking about the the government the official representative of the country right but if you take your if you get so attached to your crusade that you start going in basically the same direction that you're accusing the people right. of being the oppressors, then you, the oppressed, become the oppressors. It's absolute power that corrupts absolutely. It's the same thing every time. Yeah, totally. I didn't realize I had such a <laughs> speechy. I mean, I love to make a speech, but I love it. And it's great. I like. I love the I love the concept of her. Yes. But I wish she had aimed more for the middle because yeah. you can't you can't just mimic the people you hate. You can't be exactly right. the same as them and then go they're the ones that are wrong. Well, no one now you're doing to you, it too. You know, your side cheers for you and the other side yells their their version of that right back at you and their side right. cheers for them. And no no one ever learns anything. No one ever comes to an understanding. No one says I get what you're saying, but I don't agree with it. It's I need to destroy you. And yes, and you can't move. Welcome to 2020 America. Exactly. You can't move forward if that's what's happening. Right. And I mean, maybe not to be overly philosophical now, but maybe that's the huge benefit of such an insane thing like this pandemic and something as awful as what this country is going through right now and the death that people are seeing, that it's waking them up to this idea that this big concept of whatever side they're on Mm -hmm. is merely a concept. Right. And what they need to do is whoever lives next door to them, no matter where that person lands, in the political spectrum or the religious spectrum or the whatever, mm-hmm. make sure that person's okay because yeah. it's your neighbor and you should give a shit about the people around you and you shouldn't be picking teams. You should be trying to help 
uh, like because others. you know sorry <laughs> no no i'm just saying no shit that's like you, you know why in kindergarten. they they fucking benefit when we're fighting the fucking big government the fucking people who make the laws the people the who overlords act, the overlords benefit when we're fighting against each other this yes. angrily and this loudly because then we're not paying attention to what they're doing to us which yes. is fucking making the poor poor and fucking taking you know money from all kinds of evil fucking people so they can benefit meanwhile yes. you know we can't fucking pay rent because the entire government is shut down yeah and or they're just still considering whether or not they want right. to help people. Right. Yeah, that was an amazing story. That you were right. That had it up. all. Yeah. Unbelievable. Also, it's it sucks, too, because just that what she was fighting for was important. And what she wanted was basically just another version of equality. Right. She wanted everyone to be represented instead of just the, you know, Moral just majority. the Christians yeah. or just the Roman Catholics or whoever. She wanted everyone to be represented right. and she wanted it to be fair. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Great job. That was really good. Thank you. Yeah. It was exciting. And as you were introducing it and saying, you know, those ones where you get really excited, I was like, yeah, because that's mine this week. Really? Speaking of which, but this is like kind of an update. So it doesn't really belong in Corrections Corner. And it's a huge bummer. So and thank you um, to Hannah on Twitter at Sincerely Hannah for pointing this out. It's so rough. But she basically sent uh, me all of us a tweet saying uh, you didn't mention this part of the story that happened in 2003 and when I opened the article that she sent I was flabbergasted I mean I was like my jaw dropped 
So basically, she sent me an article that one of the uh, policemen who was right there, like the original team of rescuers for baby Jessica, Sergeant Andy Glasscock, in 2003, drugged and raped a 51 year old woman and they found child porn in his possession. Ah, so he's now in federal prison himself um, for 20 years. He's he's serving a concurrent sentence. It's a complete disaster story. Wow. And I basically Jay and I both because Jay, you know, does like first round research for me. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't see anything like this. And I was like, dude, I read every article. I mean, I love this story. I read every single article. I saw nothing about this. And we were talking about probably because. It's he was used to be a hero. He's a cop. It's and it's that kind of thing where no one wants to hear these stories after the fact. Totally. So thank you, Hannah, for sending that. And it's it's a true bummer. But I mean, it is a part of the story that should be told. Yeah. But now we go on to this is another survival story. And I'm very excited that Jay Jay found it and um, suggested it because I was like, oh, that's one of my favorite ones of all time. This is the survival story of Julianne Kopke. All right. So um, searching my memory banks. It's a no, you wouldn't I don't think you'd recognize it from the name, but you will from this actual story. So we used you know, bbc.com, all that's interesting.com, vice, wikipedia, history.com. But I watched, there's a Werner Herzog made for TV movie documentary about this woman's experience. Um, and it's called Wings of Hope. Mm-hmm. And I watched it today. It's amazing. You can watch it it's on YouTube. It's like an hour long and it literally has an adult Julianne Kopke walking through how she got through this experience and lived through it. And it's unbelievable. And the reason Werner Herzog made this documentary is because so she she basically survived a plane crash in Uh the Amazon. Oh, and yeah, 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 yeah. He was supposed to be on the plane. No, I did not know yes. that. <gasps> I didn't either. I didn't know any part of this. So, uh, so he was basically down there. He was, well, I think I get into it actually okay. later on, but I'll oh. explain that. It's, oh, Werner Herzog. It's so nuts. And so it's amazing because this documentary basically, you know, I'll give, I'll give you the information that I learned in the documentary and, and also in those other articles, but you can completely go watch it for yourself and watch her tell you firsthand. Amazing. What happened? Okay. So, um, so it's Christmas Eve, 1971 Mm -hmm. and 17 year old Julianne Kopke and her mother Maria are waiting, um, to board a Lanza flight, which is an airline that doesn't exist anymore for very good reason. (laughs) A Lanza, Lanza flight 508. From Lima, Peru to Pucallpa, Peru. Okay, so Julianne has just passed her final exams for high school, graduated from high school um, the night before at, um, forgive me for this pronunciation, a Dutch Schule Lima Alexander von Humboldt. That's the name of the high school. <laughs> Easy. Um, and it's in Lima. So both of Julianne's parents, her mother Maria and her father Hans Wilhelm, are German biologists and they live and work at their ecological research station oh. in Pucallpa. How incredible so, is their life? Right? Oh. No, 
Literally, she she got to grow up like they they lived in Lima because both of the parents at first worked um, for a museum there. But then they got to like live their dream and basically go. We're going to go out into the jungle and mm. study the animals and all the living creatures yes. that are out there. Incredible. And so basically and here's the story. So her father, Hans Wilhelm, he emigrated to Peru after World War Two. He didn't even have a passport. He was broke. He had no money. So he's a young biologist and all he wanted to do was study like you know jungle life and mm-hmm. animals in the jungle so he stows away on a freighter he hides in a cargo area with that's filled with salt mm. and he basically gets to south america gets off the ship and then walks across the continent and gets himself to peru holy shit yeah Essentially, so and so her mother, Maria, is also a biologist. She had been in Lima. She was there on business, but then also her daughter was graduating from high school. Mm-hmm. And um, she actually wanted to fly back like on the 20th or the 21st. But then Julianne wanted to graduate with her with her classmates and she wanted to go to the prom, which mm. was right after. So they end up um, staying for all that and then um, getting to the airport on Christmas Eve, 1971 okay. to fly out. The plane is seven hours late. And by the time Julianne and Maria board, everyone like is angry. Ugh. They're anxious to get home for Christmas. Yeah. There's all these people waiting and there were supposed to be two flights. There's 508. And then there was the flight that was supposed to leave afterwards. Mm. So there was a bunch of people trying to get on 508. Yeah. Cause they didn't want to have to, cause they were so late at this point. Totally. They didn't want to get home Christmas day. But, and, and so, um, Werner Herzog tells a story in Wings of Hope where he says he tried to bribe the <gasps> counterperson. He gave them $20 thinking they would get him on 508. So he was supposed to be on the other flight. He's trying to get on 508. He tries to get on 508 Holy and he doesn't shit. get on. Yeah. And so all when the people like when everyone gets to board, all the people that are on the flight like cheer and they're like, <gasps> yeah, yeah, we did it. And like basically like, hooray, we made it onto this flight. Oi. Even though weather conditions are turning bad, the crew is under so much pressure to stick to this flight yeah. schedule and get people home for the holidays that they decide to to continue on and not cancel the flight. Like, so, yeah, Werner Herzog was there. He was supposed to be he's filming a movie called The Wrath of God. That's about Spanish conquistadors trying to find El Dorado, the lost city of gold in the jungle. Mm. And they show a clip in in Wings of Hope and it. it that jungle is so dense oh and God. crazy. It's yeah. like, it looked like a complete nightmare. So while all the stuff's happening with Julianne and the story, you can just picture Werner Herzog is in the jungle like 30 miles away shooting his movie. <sighs> and she, He's just okay, like, I so, just want to get on a plane. I just... Okay, so, so they board the flight. Um, Julianne and Maria take their seats in the 19th row for what should only be about an hour long flight, just to own like a little jumper to, mm-hmm. to get to their hometown. And in Wings of Hope, they say Julianne says that her mom was sitting in the middle. She was at the window. And then there was a very large man that has the aisle seat who immediately falls asleep. Mm-hmm. So everything's smooth sailing for the first 25 minutes of the flight. And um, but Julianne can see they you know, they can all see dark clouds outside that they've been like they've basically flown into a bunch of clouds Mm. and soon uh, the plane is surrounded and then the turbulence starts Mm. and it's pretty bad then a thunderstorm breaks out and it gets worse and worse and luggage um it starts to fall from the overhead bins (laughs) very scary christmas gifts 
Christmas cakes. Things things what? are just falling out. Fuck. Yeah. Um, the mother and daughter begin to hold hands. They try to remain calm as around them they can hear uh, fellow passengers panic. Some start crying. Um, ten minutes later, Julianne sees a very bright light hit the engine outside mm. the window, and she realizes the plane's just been struck by lightning. No. Mm-hmm. And in a calm voice, Maria says, this is the end. It's all over. Oh, my God. Her mom says that to her? Her, her mom says it. I mean, OK, so immediately <sighs> the plane takes a nosedive. Cabin goes black. Everyone starts screaming. The luggage and all these packages that have fallen out mm-hmm. now are flying around mm. the cabin. And the sound of the f- failing engine is becoming this deafening roar. Yeah. And and Julianne talks about it where that was like kind of like all she could hear it like took over everything and then suddenly it stops and she realizes she's outside of the plane oh my god free falling in in her seat in their row of seats her like they're falling her seat got sucked out of the plane in midair and like she's the, just the plane broke apart holy yeah. fuck so she in in wings of hope she says Quote, it wasn't that I had left the plane, but that the plane had left me. Oh, that's good. So she's she's still strapped to her seat and she falls two miles down to the jungle floor. And all she can hear is the sound of the wind as the canopy rain of the rainforest is spinning toward her mm. and she loses consciousness. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're going to go into a little history. Julianne Kopke was born in Lima, Peru, to German parents, who I told you a little bit about, Maria and Hans Wilhelm. On October 10th, 1954, she's their only child. At the time, Maria and Hans Wilhelm both worked for the Museum of Natural History in Lima. Mm-hmm. But in 1968, when Julianne's 14, they leave Lima for the Amazon rainforest city of Pucallpa in eastern Peru. It sits on the banks of a tributary of the Amazon River. And there, um, you know, a little bit in, into the jungle, they set up this research station. Basically, Julianne lives there and is homeschooled there. Mm-hmm. And the plan was that she was just going to finish high school, like being homeschooled at um, at their at her parents' research station. And she is homeschooled there for a year and a half. It's uh, of course any any child that's interested in animals and stuff like this. It's yeah. a dream life. She she even has her own toucan. So I mean, Aww. life is great. Fruit Loops everywhere. <laughs> um, but then in 1970, the local school authorities find out that she's just out there being homeschooled, and mm-hmm. they say, "Sorry, she has to go to normal high school to graduate." And because she wants to go on to college so she can study zoology and become a bi- biologist like her parents, mm. she does go back to Deutsch Schule Lima Alexander von Humboldt for her finals, <laughs> which she passes. So she wants to graduate go to the prom, whatever. Her mom hangs hangs out and is like, that's fine. I'll change the tickets. But the only available flight after Julianne's graduation and prom is on Christmas Eve on the airline Lanza. They, in this documentary, Wings of Hope, talks so much shit about this airline. <laughs> At one point, it's like, do you remember Tower Air? No. Did you ever have to fly Tower Air? No. As a, as a very broke comic in the 90s. Uh-huh. It was rough. It was like a, it was kind of like a cargo plane. There was like, I remember sitting in a, in a middle seat in the middle section and it was like 15 seats across. Oh yeah. Like 
crazy. They, everybody was passing things. Most people had their own food. Yeah. I was so hungover that I just tried to sleep. And the lady sitting next to me kept waking me up for every beverage <sighs> and food offering where I was like, I don't want to <laughs> leave please, me alone. Please, I'm dying. She'd be like, do you want a drink? Do you want to uh. some chips? Anyway, basically, at one point in this documentary, Werner Herzog tells Julianne that he did research on Flight 508 and found out that the mechanics who worked on that plane had only ever worked on motorcycles before that. Oh, no, that's a very uh-huh. different machine. It's a, it's a different machine. And also the pilots, speaking of which, the pilots were not licensed to fly commercial. Oh, no, that's not so. how you run a business. It was bad news coming and going. And so, of course, Julianne's dad um, advises his wife against flying lands. Oh, they had recently had two crashes like oh. in the previous months. But Maria wanted Julianne to have like yeah. a normal high school experience. And she's like, it's worth it. So she books the flight anyway. Oh, dear. So that's how they got there. OK, so when Julianne wakes up on the jungle floor, it's Christmas morning. It's early morning. She is underneath the row of seats that she was sitting in. Mm. Her, her mother is nowhere to be seen. The large man on the aisle seat, no, she's alone. There's some wreckage around her, but because the plane broke apart in the air, she's separated from the bulk of the crash site. So she just kind of calls out to her mother. No one answers. Now she can barely see. Yeah. So she wears glasses. Her glasses are gone. She's really nearsighted. Her left eye is swollen shut and her right eye is swollen so she can only open it like a sliver. Oh, my God. Also, and now we're going to go through a list of injuries. So if you're squeamish, you're going to want to now listen to the podcast, Dr. Death. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. So squeamish alert. Her collarbone is broken and it's sticking out Uh. of the right side of her clavicle area which i think is a, is a collarbone mm-hmm. she can't feel it though okay she can't she can't feel it she just looks down and sees it and can't feel it she also has a ruptured ligament in her knee can't feel that she's got she's in the documentary it says she looked down and there was a cut on her calf that was so deep it wasn't bleeding oh my and that it God. reminded her of a canyon because of how of how it was like kind of broken torn up at the top horrifying oh. Um, she also has a really bad cut on the upper back part of her right arm, but she's alive miraculously. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the theories of how it would be possible for her to survive falling two miles out of the sky s- strapped to a row of seats mm-hmm. is that because of the severity of the thunderstorm, they were really strong updrafts. Like there's, you know, it's like yeah. all about warm air and cold air or whatever. So there were really strong updrafts that were pushing against her fall. Oh, so it slowed it down. Slowing down like the force of gravity or whatever, or the gravitational pull maybe if it that's was, right. Yeah. It was God. It was the, the hand of the Lord right. that kind of scooped her up. Oh. But also she landed in a part of the forest, the jungle forest, where the trees were really close together and intertwined with these really thick vines, yeah. like all the way through. So they almost created like a little bit of a net as she <sighs> fell. So she basically, I mean, she was... It's it softened, quote unquote, her landing, as this they say. Is some, it's like Lost meets Alice in Wonderland yes. right now. <laughs> Entirely. So she lucks out insanely like it's how yeah. could you not think I'm a miracle and my life is destiny after you survive something like this? She's under like the seats are f- kind of folded over. So the back of the seat is like almost creating like a little tent like that. Mm-hmm. She's under it again. Can't 
can't really see. She has a really bad concussion. So when she cr- tries to even begin to stand up, she mm. blacks out. Um, so she spends actually the first day just trying to get up Fuck. and like it. And, and like she's, you know, for a while she crawls around on all fours because mm. she's trying to find her mother. And, um, it's, it, you know, everything is a huge, it, really difficult for her. Yeah. Also, she is wearing a sleeveless mini dress. No. Cause it's, it's 1970. Yeah. She's wearing a sleeveless mini dress. She was wearing sandals. She only has one on. So Shit. she lost. One of her sandals, so she has, to, and then she doesn't have her glasses, so she's having to stick her one still shoed foot out ahead of her. When she finally does, is able to stand and walk, uh-huh. she has to stick her foot out to make sure she doesn't trip like over a rock or, yeah. you know, anything like that as she moves along. So her first, in her mind, the first thing she needs to do is find her mom because yeah. she's convinced if she's alive, her mom must be too. Her and her mom were super, super close and she kind of, in the documentary, she said she just kind of couldn't imagine being without her. Oh. So she called for her a bunch and tried to find her. She's finding little bits of wreckage here and there as she's moving around the jungle. She actually ends up finding a bag of candy and takes it with her mm. um, and it's her, her only food for oh. a long time. She also, um, there was a, one of those Christmas Christmas cakes that fell out was also there too. But then when she took a bite of it, she realized it had just been sitting in mud. So it had like absorbed a bunch oh. of dirt and mud. So then she threw it away. And of course, later on, deeply regretted sure. having done that. So basically she's, um, you know, wanders for a while and then comes upon another row of seats. There are three bodies still strapped into this mm-hmm. row of seats. But this row of seats didn't, the fall was not broken in any way. Mm-hmm. And it was driven three feet into the ground. Holy shit. From the, from the impact of the fall. Um, so she, with her concussion and her kind of weird thinking and trying to find her mom, she decides this is the first time she's ever seen a dead body. Obviously, sure. you know, this is insanely traumatic, but she gets this idea in her head of maybe this is one of these people is her mom and she can. So she ends up like getting a stick and taking a shoe off of one of the feet mm. and she sees that the there's nail polish on the toenails and her mom never put nail polish on her toes so mm. she knew it wasn't her mom and that's when she realized she was totally alone in the jungle that her mom was gone and mm. that she had to get herself she had to start thinking clearly and get herself out of there wow. And she basically is like, I I know now I have to press on alone. Basically, she kind of wanders around for about four days, you know, trying to find a direction. And and the the coolest thing was that the school authorities were very wrong about the benefit of her homeschooling because she had all this uh, like survival skills just from just from having to live in the jungle naturally yeah so she's not scared of like when i first read this story which was long ago and with the um terry joe story of when of terry joe who um was on the yacht and then yes went out out to sea as a little child yes i read a uh what's it called compilation books aren't called compilation Uh, yeah compilation Sounds right. Short stories. It's a well. It's a, a true stories of survival, basically. Okay. And this this anthology. story. Anthology. Thank you, Stephen. And <laughs> anthology. God, thank God. Thank God, one Some of us read. went to college. 
Stephen, do you want to be in our book club? Heck yeah. <laughs> okay, so this this story was in that book with Terry Joe's story too. Mm. And I, I remember just going, I if I didn't have one shoe and I was in the jungle with bugs and snakes and yeah. spiders and all I would I would never stop screaming. I would just lose my mind. <laughs> yeah. But she loved she that's what she loved. Yeah. And she knew what was poisonous and she knew what wasn't. She knew how to survive just wow. naturally. So she none of that scared her and also she says whether it was the trauma of the experience or that it was like she said she just had this kind of, she never felt fear she also never felt hungry she just had this kind of like she was cut off and she was like I just got to get to civilization wow so so basically she knew that if you get lost in the jungle what you have to do is listen for water because mm-hmm. if you can find a source of water you can follow the water how wherever whatever direction the water is running it runs to other water that's mm. apparently that's how water works so <laughs> so what so she's as she wanders and wanders she finally realizes one day that she's been listening to a sound that she didn't put together in her head that was the sound of running water. And when she realized it, she was like, oh, my God. So she followed it. She finds a natural spring uh-huh. with a little rivulet of water running out of it. Uh-huh. And she just walks along the rivulet. And eventually that rivulet gets her to this little creek. And you can literally watch her do it. Werner Herzog went to the middle of the jungle, found the no. plane wreckage, found all these sites, and you watch her re-walk her way wait, out wait, of the wait. jungle. The, yes. the plane wreckage is still there. Still he, there, 30 years later. Because how are they going to get it out? And what for, right? Like, they probably get exactly. the bodies out. And then it's it's all grown over. And they bring her back to it? She agrees to go back and do it, like, do it to, for the, to show what she did. Wow. So, you watch her walk through, you know, like, when you're, I mean, the first, you know, creek, quote unquote, is probably a foot wide. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, but then you see it just gets bigger and bigger and deeper and, mm. and go- going downhill, the whole thing. And then that, she basically gets the little creek and that joins her up to a bigger creek Mm -hmm. and she knows that once she gets to a larger body of water that actually is like moving and has a current if she follows that downstream Mm -hmm. that that will bring her to civilization Mm -hmm. that that's where you never go upstream just everybody write write all these things down on your hand go downstream yeah so she also knows. So as she's doing this, she knows that walking in the water is less dangerous than walking through dense forests. Oh, yeah. So and they they talk a little bit about she she talks about like people always talk about piranhas. Yeah. <laughs> she says this. She's she's standing in the middle of a river, a runny river, and she's like, a lot of people would be scared by this. And I was like watching it like my heart is racing. And she's like, but like people are always scared of piranhas. Piranhas are harmless in in water with a current. Oh. It's when it's still water that they like go crazy. How- so she's like. She know, but and she knows all the she stuff. She knows everything. Yeah. She was the perfect 17 year old to be in a to survive a car crash. I mean, a plane crash in the forest. Yeah, she says more than snakes, tarantulas, even piranhas, the one thing to worry about in water like that are manta rays. They have poisonous... No. Yeah, poisonous stingrays in the water. They... What? No. 
Yeah. So she basically, when she finally gets to water that's like big enough where that's a concern, she yeah. finds a big old stick <gasps> and she walks and then just pokes the ground in front of her as she's walking with one shoe again. Oh my God. Ugh. So she's like, get out of my, she's like making sure she's not going to stand on any. Yes. Exactly. And just, and pokes them all, uh, pokes the like ground in front of her. So she wades downstream. Uh And as, you know, so this, a couple days have gone by now and she can hear the search planes. Oh. But she's still in enough overgrowth that she can't, she can't signal to them in any way. Right. And also, the way this plane went down because it broke up in the air. Yeah. There's no main crash site. Right. It, it literally, the jungle just swallowed the plane and all the different plane parts. And even if there was, she's walked away from it at this point. So, like, they don't know where she is. No, no. They And, and they're assuming everyone's dead. They can't see. Right. They can't see anything. It's just like this plane has disappeared. Wow. So, they're kind of assuming. And they... The, um, It was one of the biggest search, search and rescue efforts in airborne... Uh, search and rescue efforts in the history of Peru. Wow. Um, but, you know, after they search and search and search for like, I think it was five days, they give up because they can't even find where the plane went down. Wow. So they just have no idea. So as she's waiting downstream, she can hear them and then she hears them go away. Mm. So she gets really mad because she thinks either they found everybody else and saved them yeah. and just not her or just that they gave up on her. She doesn't know. But she again reminds herself, you just have to keep pushing forward. You just mm. have to keep going. So meanwhile, everyone in Peru basically is waiting to hear any news of Flight 508 that basically just disappeared mm-hmm. in a storm, including, of course, Hans Wilhelm, who is facing the horrible reality that both his wife and daughter have died in this plane crash. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the rainforest, Julianne is alternating between wading in the shallower waters and then swimming in deeper parts of of the water. Mm -hmm. And she's the days are really hot and humid and then it'll start raining like it rains several times a day as she's trying to get out mm. but the rain is cold so she said when it hit her it felt like needles oh my God. and it happened a, a ton but the good part was then she had lots of drinking water so yeah. she theorizes that that's why she wasn't so hungry is because she just constantly kept kind of kept herself full by just constantly drinking water right at night, of course, the air turns cold. Mosquitoes and bugs swarm her and like, you know, she tries to her, her best to keep them away. Um, but they're everywhere. And she, get, uh, at night to sleep, she gets out of the, uh, of the creek or the river and she curls up on the riverbank, gets her back to the bank and basically just tries to keep warm, even though she's soaking wet. God, the whole time. and like anything can come get you, any creature. Yep. Yeah. Jesus. And and there's creatures that you that are that have already gotten you. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Wait, what? Um get ready. Okay. I'll tell you. Oh no. So just she has a watch on her wrist that was a gift from her grandmother so for the first four days she's using it to track time and track days passing Mm -hmm. but on the fourth day it stops so after that she just has to track it in her head Mm -hmm. but she knows that's important too just to know how many days have passed and 
it's the rainy season, so there's not a lot of wild fruit that she can pick and eat. She doesn't have any tools. She can't hunt or fish. She knows that there's lots of plants that are poisonous, so she doesn't want to risk trying to eat something and making herself sick. Um, she she eats the candy until the candy's gone. Yeah. But again, she never she never felt hungry. She said, but she knew she was getting weaker um, because she was just walking nonstop. So on either the fifth or sixth day. Um, she's not sure because the watch was broken. This stream that she's been uh, in now opens up to a bigger river. And this is like now she knows that she's getting closer. But at this point, her wounds have started to fester. And so it's it's harder for her to walk. So on, there's some days where she just floats down the river and she does see crocodiles. No. And sometimes, yeah. And so that she'll be floating down the river and look and there'll be crocodiles. They'll see her and get in. And oh. she said she was just apathetic. She was just like, well, whatever. And just kept floating. And they never attacked her. They never bit her, did anything. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's like, she's like the stingrays are the only one I have to, um, ones I have to worry about. And she, she, what? I just she made it happen by pure chance. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, it really is. So, so here's the, uh, Super disgusting trigger warning. By day 10, the a wound in her upper right arm. Oh, dear. It, yeah, it's filled with maggots. Ah! <laughs> no. Yes. No. Sorry. Look, if you want to go on vacation in the jungle, you have to hear this shit, Georgia. It's I don't. Real. I've never wanted to do. Well, it's, I'll do it's, that. It's so horrible that they're they're big. She looks down and she sees it. She knows it's oh. bad. Because she knows, because like it's kind of out of sight. And then when she looks back, oh. can you imagine? You're just like, wow, wow. Yeah, that and um, the collarbone, I think, are the hardest parts for me so far. So rough. Yeah. Um, I mean, for her, too. I, it's really hard for me sitting. <laughs> the hardest is for you. And we know that. But <laughs> she went through some stuff, too. I guess. So she kn- she's also smart enough to know that that's terrible because she could get blood poisoning and she could get her arm amputated if she does survive. Right. So she knows like she has to find help and she has to like she has to keep up the pace. On the 10th day, she can barely stand. Um 10th fucking day. On the 10th day. 10 days, which is so she's fi- they they've ca- the Search and rescue has been called off for almost a week oh for five days. God. So she can barely stand. So she's and she's still trying to make her way down the river. So she goes and she has to rest. So she goes and looks. There's a riverbank. She walks over to it. She sits down. She doesn't even know how long she was there. Mm. And she realizes she looks in front of her and realizes she's looking at a boat. <gasps> there's a boat been, in like, front of her. She must have been delirious by then and she had a major concussion oh right a major concussion the entire time and yeah she delirious from from starvation delirious from yeah yeah <laughs> from maggot everything and fuck the plane crash she was in yeah, the whole fucking thing yeah. yeah so she kind of like comes to realizing there's a chance she's made it because she's looking at a boat and she said she had to make sure she wasn't hallucinating. So she had to go up and touch it <sighs> to make sure it was real because it was so unbelievable. It's really there. She looks on the boat. She looks around. She doesn't see any people. She considers stealing the boat, but she doesn't want to be a thief. Aww. So instead, she spots a path that's coming up from the riverbank mm-hmm. and through the jungle. And so she says it takes her 
hours to climb up this riverbank because she said the riverbank was about nine feet high. Oh my God. And she was so weak that it took her, she just had to try and try. And finally she crawled up this bank (gasps) and she followed the path and it led her to a little hut with a palm leaf roof. And she just gets inside and goes to sleep. And so she says when she's in there, she realizes you're starving to death. You have to eat something. And these frogs start coming around. But she recognizes that they're called um, they're called mm, I think they're called poison arrow frogs. Uh-huh. And they're those frogs. They're poisonous. And they're the ones that um, that the n- native people use to put their juices from uh-huh. the frog's belly onto the arrows tips uh-huh. so that when they shoot people they like hallucinate and go crazy and they're poisonous and they oh. die yes so she she knows that they're that poisonous and she still tries to eat one anyway because oh, she's like so, she's on the verge yeah but they keep hopping away from her she oh. said it was just they would come and hop near her and then she'd be like i'll just eat this and then they would hop away and she couldn't Those she couldn't catch any dicks <laughs> so so the morning of January 4th, this is 11 days since the crash, she wakes up to the sound of voices outside this hut. And in the documentary, she says it's it, it sounded like the voices of angels. Aww. So she comes out of the hut and she sees three men standing there. Mm. She said they're all taken aback. Um, she describes the moment like this. Quote, when they saw me, they were alarmed and stopped talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it the maggots? They- <laughs> maggots just pouring out. Oh! Um, she said, they thought I was a kind of water goddess, a figure from a local legend who's a hybrid of a water dolphin which I would imagine is just a dolphin. Because uh-huh. um, <laughs> you know, land dolphins. Land dolphins. Oh, that's a hippo. That's skinless a hippo. cats. Um, <laughs> skinless cats? Did you mean hairless cats? I did mean hairless cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's late. Okay. The, the cats have hair, no skin. Oh, the, the organs are right under the hair. Oh, God. Guys, stop it. I'm trying to talk about maggots. Okay. Let's okay. say that dolphins. It's a, a local legend. It's a hybrid of a dolphin. I think he meant a river dolphin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a blonde, white skinned woman. So this okay. was actually a real, and she's blonde. She's like yeah. a little German, uh, descent girl. She, but she is, of course, lived in Peru all her life. She introduces herself to the men in Spanish. She finds out they're local lumbermen and, she says what happened so they bring her they gather her up and they bring her to the put her on the boat they they go um 11 hours in the boat to get her back to their village oh, to just shit. to any kind of yeah they get her there they but they in the meantime they put gasoline in her wounds mm-hmm. to kill the maggots and to basically like get you know uh, a little triage the, going yes exactly but okay. with gasoline no and i'm sure she's like who cares it's fine yeah. I, I don't i can't feel anything so when the locals in their village and when the men bring her to the village the locals see her her eyes are so red and bloodshot that all the locals recoil in fear and they accuse the men of bringing a forest demon back to their village <laughs> come she's like i haven't i been through enough yeah really <laughs> It's like, sorry, you really look like a demon. Here's some visine. Um, they, these men convince a local pilot to fly Julianne to the hospital in Pucallpa. Mm-hmm. So in this 
again, in this documentary, I'm just talking you through this documentary. It's so good. She goes back and she meets one. The other two men have since died because it's been like 30 years. Mm -hmm. She goes and gets to meet one of her rescuers and say thank you to him. It's lovely. And also it's the cutest thing. Werner Herzog's such a good filmmaker. Yeah. Because when he first like comes upon like the group of people where she's like, you know, coming to say hello, there's all these little kids around, of course. Right. It's just like village life and the camera swings over to like these little kids and then like two of them just walk away immediately and there's this little girl who's probably like eight Uh and she's so cute and she just stands there kind of smiling and the camera just is on her and then she then she just starts giggling and she can't stop giggling and it is so it's so cute it's just beautiful moments like that he's so good a day after her rescue on january 5th 1972 Julianne's father gets a call Mm. telling him his daughter has been found alive and he goes to the hospital. They're finally reunited. And Julianne says that neither of them were able to speak. They just held each other. Oh, can you imagine? No, I mean, he he thought they were gone. Yeah. And everything she had been through. And it's like, it's over. And that collarbone still sticking out during the hug for the next few days. (laughs) Hans Wilhelm. Oh, sorry. So for the next few days, Hans Wilhelm watches the news just in case his wife is found alive, too. And listen to this. When Julian recovers, she joins in the search effort by leading the emergency responders back to the crash site to look for her mom. What? Yeah, she goes back in. But on January 12th, 1972, Maria's body is found. And there is evidence that suggests that she also may have survived (gasps) the initial crash, but she was too injured to move or speak. And she died out there. Oh, my God. Yeah. 91 people died in the crash of Lanza Flight 508, including all six crew members and 85 passengers. Julianne, who is the 86th passenger, was the lone survivor. Um, and there's, they start this documentary with this amazing kind of monument that they've built in, in, I believe it's in Lima, Peru, for all the people who died in Flight 508. Mm-hmm. And some of the bodies are buried in this monument. Oh like when God. you go to see it and it yeah. shows a map of where it crashed and it shows a map of her trail out of the jungle. Wow. And that monument is called Wings of Hope. And that's why Werner Herzog titled yeah. his documentary that. Flight 508 was Lonzo's last flight before the entire company was shut down just 11 days after the incident. So pretty much immediately, their operating permit was revoked due to their, quote, intentional flight into hazardous weather conditions. Also, that they, oh, these aren't motorcycles. Oh, shit. (laughs) Also, 100 other things. Yes. Come on. Yes. After the media blitz settles down, Julianne returns to normal life. She moves to Germany and goes to the University of Kiel in 1980. And she studies biology and zoology. And she actually earns a doctorate. Wow. Um, yeah. And she ends up marrying another biologist. And they move back to Peru. <sighs> She's researching bats. He's researching wasps. That's a match made in heaven. He's in the documentary with her. It's so cute. It's so cute. In 1998, she participates in a documentary about the crash called (laughs) Wings of Hope, directed by (laughs) Werner Herzog. And in 2011, Julianne writes a book about her experiences with the crash and her survival entitled When I Fell from the Sky. (sighs) Just such a good title. Yeah. 
When you, you did that book immediately, you straight up, straight up, you full on fell from the sky. Yeah, and that is the unbelievable survival story of seventeen year old Julianne Kopke, the sole survivor of Lanza Flight Five Hundred Eight. Oh my god, dude, that's intense. Dude, I Just love it. the The will to survive that she had to have, yeah, to to go that long. Yeah. Is incredible. I think everyone has it in them. I think everyone has it in them. Yeah. I really do. I do. That's beautiful. I do. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Your faith in humanity is beautiful. Well, but I think that's like, it's lizard brain stuff where you just keep fighting. Like, yeah. At that point, you'd have to. That's true. It's like, if alone and wait until you can't walk anymore, you might as well keep taking some steps. Go. And that is our philosophy about life, too. It's like, if you just have one sandal, then walk with that yeah. foot first to make sure you don't step on a snake with watch your bare foot. Watch out for Careful. stingrays. Careful. The stingrays <laughs> will kill you. That's right. Good job. Thank um, you. Should we do some fucking hoorays? Let's do it. Okay. You want to go first? Oh, sure. I'd love do to. It. I'd um, love to. Um, this is from Casa de Cote on Instagram. Okay. My Fucking array is, well, on our daily walk with masks on because it's the right thing to do. And so people won't silently judge us like Georgia. It says that. <laughs> and Karen. Uh-huh. And we saw one of those heartwarming dog videos you see on social media, but in real life. An elderly woman's dog, I believe it was a border collie, walked down her front path to pick up her mail from the mailman. The dog took the mail, walked back up the steps and delivered the mail to her. (laughs) It was amazing. We usually come home from these walks disappointed in humanity in general. And then it says all caps. Why are there so many packs of teenagers on skateboards with no masks? Do they not have parents? (laughs) That it was nice to see something so simple and kind. Love one another and be safe. Stephanie in Redondo Beach. Nice, Stephanie. I won't judge you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. This one is from Lauren Michelle. It's Lauren Michelle. My fucking hooray is that today on my brother's 36th birthday, we found out that his brain tumor shrunk. (gasps) The past nine months have been life changing for my family. Watching my brother go through brain surgery, then chemo and radiation has been heart wrenching and incredibly emotional for all of us. God. But if anything has, but if anything, it has made our, our close family even closer. About a month ago, my brother donned his Michael Jordan jersey while ringing the bell after completing his treatment. And today, while wearing his Chicago Bulls starter jersey <laughs> from 1998, we received the news that his tumor had shrunk. Oh. He's not completely out of the woods yet, but things are looking up. So fucking hooray for the best birthday gift. My brother, his twin. Oh, one. it was one brother's birthday and they got the new, good news about the other brother. Got I got it. So fucking hooray for the best birthday gift my brother, his twin, received this year. Fucking hooray for his amazingly supportive wife, who I'm honored to have for a sister-in-law. Mm. And fucking hooray for the Jordan-era Chicago Bulls, who have, <laughs> 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 who, <laughs> who have brought crazy luck to my family at this time. SSGGM and hug your siblings, Lauren. That's beautiful, Lauren. Amazing. Yes. Um, This is from Jess Danielle and it's not a fucking hooray. Well, it is later, but it says 
Fun fact, I was named after baby Jessica. The story goes, my older sister was three years old, and after my family watched the story, she kept saying, they got baby Jessica out of the well. Now we need to get baby Jessica out of mom's tummy. And then there's one of those emojis of, uh, you know, uh, thank God, because my father originally wanted me to be named Tranquilia, wait, <laughs> Tranquilinia, Tran- Tranquilinia. Uh huh. And then there's a, an emoji of a hand slap to the face. But Jessica stuck thanks to my sister who wouldn't stop calling me baby Jessica after that. Uh-huh. Fucking, fucking array for big sisters who pick better names than my parents do. <laughs> Tranquilinia. What's wrong with Tranquilinia? <laughs> it's so soothing and relaxing. <laughs> it is. Uh, okay, this is fr- this is sent by um, MFM 007 Murderino. Okay. Oh, James Bond. Since March 16th, I have been at home with both kids 9 and 11 full time. So we've been doing, yeah, really. So we've been doing new activities to keep ourselves busy while still at home. One of them is chalking up the driveway. At first, it was all of us. Being that the kids get bored easily, they left the art activity and I fell deeper into the activity. And then in parentheses, better than doing laundry and dishes. Now I am a chalk legend of the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) I have created some easy ones uh i had created some easy ones at first but i have leveled up i have a lot of neighbors looking forward to the new pieces also i made a new friend while doing this she is a true muralist she's come over a couple of times and was extremely generous and made two art pieces i wish i could upload the photos <laughs> she did a real <laughs> it's just like i wish i could but i can't no but it's yeah she did a realistic vulture and realistic butterfly oh. i have done a tree frog a sea turtle hatching from an egg and a funny shark bird that's right a bird <laughs> with a shark's head i saw a meme of it and i couldn't resist good thing about this this art is every time it rains i get a new canvas thank you ladies for what y'all are doing and take care we will be chalking it up even after this goddamn pandemic is over yours cheryl i love it so good also it's like you're forced into these things and then it's like yeah that's awesome that you're doing chalk murals in your driveway yeah i bet it's like so stress relieving can you please do us a favor and do a um um, what is it? A river dolphin? Please. <laughs> Please do a water dolphin Thank or you. a river dolphin. Yeah. Whatever, Either whatever one. makes most sense to you. <laughs> um, my last one is from JC Nicole to ease. My fucking hooray is that after four years of working full time and going to college full time, I finally paid off my car. I'm only 20 and I've learned responsibility the hard way. I have to remind myself that even amongst the chaos going on now, I am still capable of accomplishing things. Every week you and Karen remind me that even though we're in a pandemic, it's not a productivity contest. That's fucking (laughs) right. right. I'm proud of myself and I'm proud of everyone who is making it through life right now. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one is uh, from Formaldehyde. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so good. My fucking hooray is that I didn't do shit. <laughs> I didn't leave my house for anything other than groceries. I didn't let my kids flout the common sense rules that are in place for everyone's safety. I stayed home, ate the same boring ass food that we've been <laughs> eating for eight goddamn weeks, watched every episode of Golden Girls for the millionth time, Kicked my family's ass in Settlers of Catan and Rummy Cube. <laughs> oh, I fucking love Rummy Cube so much. I forgot much. about that one. Yeah. It's a good game. 
survived the shit show that is e-learning for a first grader, a sixth grader, and a tenth grader. Oh, Oh, honey. Fuck, mom. And most importantly, I didn't contribute to the spread of COVID-19. Stay sexy and stay the fuck at home. Formaldehyde, you win (laughs) across the board. And we we want to say that stay at home is... And be safe is for the people who can't stay at home, for the essential workers who have to be at the grocery store, who have to be, you know, the cops and the first responders and the hospital workers and all the people who cannot stay at home. We working at at Domino's Pizza. Totally. Or the people who have to work at Instacart right now because they need the fucking money so they They can pay for their families to live. Yes. Let's, Let's respect those people. And stay it's at for home them. if we can. Exactly. And be like, please be like formaldehyde and stay <laughs> home and don't do shit. And play gin rummy. <laughs> if, if a mother of three young Ugh. kids can fucking do it and like make it interesting. Do Jesus, it. You can. You can do it. Can. We can all do Ugh. it. We love you all guys. Right. We, we hope we're helping during these crazy times. And we we got your back. And yeah. uh, thank you guys for listening to us and letting us still do this insane thing that we get to do. Yes. We're thank so you for all your support. Lucky. Yeah. And it's uh, especially these days, it's such a fun thing to look forward to. It now. is. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all so much. And stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mimi, do you want a cookie? Okay, so this is pretty exciting. Apple TV Plus's new crime drama is called Defending Jacob, and it follows an assistant DA whose life is turned upside down uh, when his son is accused of murder. So the assistant DA is played by Chris Evans, and it also stars Michelle Dockery and Jaden Martell. Everyone is so good in it. It's a limited series, and they play a family whose fate hangs in the balance of the legal system. Right, so Apple asked us to partner with them to create this special content to give our listeners a chance to put themselves in the Barber family's shoes. That's right. And we were lucky enough to sit down with the show's screenwriter, Mark Bomback, as well as the director, Morton Tildum, who's, they're both so talented. And mm-hmm. we're going to have a little deeper dive into Defending Jacob. So enjoy. Okay, we are very excited to be talking to screenwriter Mark Bombeck and director Morton Tildum. They have their new show on Apple TV+. Plus. It's a crime drama called Defending Jacob. Congratulations, you guys. Thanks for talking to us today. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Aaron and Georgia, it's so nice to meet you. Like, I've been a murderino for like a while. Like, I... <gasps> no! Really? Yeah, in fact, while working on the show, because I live in New York, I used to drive home on the weekends. And very often your podcast would be the thing I listened to as I was driving home. So. Oh, my goodness. So honored. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you guys got involved in this project? Sure. This is Mark talking. Uh, so I was sent the book that this show is based on, really responded to it. And so I dove right in and wrote a pilot script and an outline of what I thought those first uh, few episodes could be and uh, was talking with the producers and we were talking about who might be a good director to bring in and Morton's name came up and I was overjoyed. I thought bringing his Scandinavian sensibility mm-hmm. to this and his artistry would be a great fit. I love making stories which is all about characters which are great. I don't believe in like people are inherently good or inherently evil. We're all kind of exist in this weird 
place in between was like, where is our moral compass? What are we willing to do? I think that's what makes this show so different is that it's not a typical whodunit. It's kind of, it's got those little nuances where, you know, you think to yourself, what would I do in that situation? Not having kids, I, I'm like, turn that, turn them in, <laughs> which of course wouldn't really happen. So what do you guys think this sets this apart from the typical whodunit? Is it the morality of it? Is it family? It's very much about that parent-child relationship and putting that to a stress test. And, you know, oftentimes we live our lives with little fractures in our relationships, whether it's with our parents or with our spouse. And we can go a very long time that way. And then something like a crime occurs and really puts it to the test and suddenly starts to rip it all apart. Well, and that is interesting because we all like to think that we are good people and moral people and that we would make the right decision and how you would start rationalizing what you will do that's different than if it was a normal situation. You know what I mean? Like suddenly it's just like, yeah, I I can see hiding that. I can see pretending you didn't know that. I can see, you know, getting rid of evidence or whatever because it's your family member. You guys got like an insanely stellar cast yeah. for this show. You know, Chris Evans, Michelle Dockery, Jaden Martell. So it's Captain America, Lady Mary, and the <laughs> child hero from It. Like every, every, you know, every person that walks on screen, you're like, whoa, whoa. We, we went into this not thinking like, let's get the biggest name possible. We want who will be perfect for this? Who do we really would love that? And I think we also wanted to, to cast a little bit out of the box. And uh, then it had to be Chris Evans, which we're now thinking after shooting with him, like it, it couldn't be anybody else. Yeah. Which is like it's which is so perfect in the part. And Michelle came on, and and uh, uh, we, we both uh, love Michelle in, in uh, of course Downton Abbey, but also Godless, where she where she has an American ac- uh, accent. Amazing, and mm-hmm. really impressed us. And, and Jaden is just uncanny. Uh, he actually auditioned for the part, and. Uh, when we saw it, it was like, it was so, it, it, it just jumped out of it. Uh, and it was obvious that he has to be Jacob because he kind of has the hardest part. He has to add right. another layer on top yeah. of his performance because you're never really supposed to figure out what's actually going on inside of this, this, this character. And I think yeah. also he has to add that layer of being a teenager and never fully answering your parents' questions with anything more <laughs> than a nod. And he does that so well. It's very fascinating to think about that part where I'm like, am I judging him because I don't like his personality? So I'm give, attributing <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, or is that what's happened sometimes where it's these surface things that you're actually putting on somebody that could be completely innocent? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about teenagers as suspects is that their behavior is <laughs> dubious. Like they're just, <laughs> yeah. and so no matter what he says or does, especially in Jake, Jaden is just as Martin was saying, uncannily gifted at being enigmatic in a way that feels very plausible and very appropriate for his age. And you know, that's the subjective fear we're trying to instill in the audience is that you're at the mercy. Um, his performance in the same way his his parents are, where you're trying to determine, is this just normal, taciturn, teenage talk, or is this someone feeling something? Yeah, definitely. I think one thing everyone wants to know is, can you tell us one, you know, negative thing about Chris Evans so we're not so in love with him? Yeah, yeah, there's got to be a downside. Just one little. You do almost look for a chink in the armor because he's (laughs) 
He is really a great person inside, and he's blessed with these bizarrely good looks. And <laughs> um, I, and he's very humble about them. So I, 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 it sounds totally like a cliche, but I really can't think of anything. It's really hard. Well, Mark and Morton, thank you guys so much for talking to us today. This has been so fun. You have to follow at Apple TV on Instagram and Twitter to join the discussion about defending Jacob. Each week, they're going to post a crucial question about that week's episode so you can find out what you and other viewers would actually do in those situations. And watch Defending Jacob on Apple TV+. Plus every Friday. Thanks, guys. Thanks, you guys.